Hello and welcome to 52 and 52, a podcast rewatch at least one movie a week for every week in the year and record an episode about it. I'm Josh, as usual, but Anthony is taking this week off, and I'm joined by a good friend of ours from law school who's a, an occasional listener of the podcast when we happen to be talking about a movie that he saw, and we've been trying to get him on the pod for a while. It's our friend Dylan McCarthy. Dylan, thank you for being here. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Yeah, this week's episode is about Darren Aronofsky's mother, uh, one of the – or should I say mother – there is an explanation point in the title of it. It's uh, probably one of the most divisive movies to hit theater this year because it was uh, marketed as a traditional horror movie, uh, and I'd say it's definitely not that. So a lot of people went to this movie expecting something uh, way different than they got, and it's uh, probably one of the weirdest movies I've seen this year. And uh, um, Dylan, first I want to start with you. Uh, what was your initial reaction to this movie, and would you say it was – shaped pretty significantly and altered it all once you started reading any criticism online after the fact because a lot of people can take a lot of different things from this movie um i did like it mm -hmm. when i got out of it the more i thought about it the more i liked it a little less okay um but i was still mostly positive on it uh especially just going and knowing what an aronofsky movie is like mm -hmm. how about you yeah, so I should I should stop and say that this movie it's uh, has has Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Javier Bardem and they play a couple that kind of lives in a tranquil home and then they get some unwelcome visitors and or some welcome visitors maybe not so unwelcome to the Jennifer Lawrence character and then um, various levels of um, suspense and chaos ensue and I went into this movie like i said expecting the horror thing but that's not when you go into a movie like expecting something that's traditional horror and that's not what you get that's not necessarily a bad thing for me because i'm not really the biggest horror fan in the world but i mean that's obviously kind of why it got like the the f on cinema score and stuff like that because people were expecting like a horror movie so i i i would say for me i really enjoyed the first half of this movie because i thought it was like kind of a different a different take did you see it comes at night I did not. Okay, so that, that was the movie from earlier this year, uh, an A24 movie, kind of about people in a house in a desolate area that welcome in some other visitors, and um, a lot of tension builds. And I kind of like this as like a different version of that. And then the second half of this movie, um, more and more people start coming into this house. And I thought about it in one way, and I was actually enjoying it for a little bit. And then I'd say like... I'm sure a lot of people really enjoyed like the last 20 minutes of this movie or not. I don't want to say a lot of people, but certain people did for everything it represented and it can represent a lot of things. And I would say that I enjoyed thinking about this movie in one way and I'm not a very religious person. So some of the religious, much of the religious allegory in it went over my head. And I don't know if that means I dislike it. It just might mean, Hey, maybe it wasn't for me, but I would say I really liked the first half of this, which is more of a thriller and then uh, Javier Bardem's character plays a poet, and we should say that a lot of these house visitors, as anyone that's seen the movie know, are, end up being massive fans of him, and they create a lot of chaos. So I enjoyed thinking about this movie, and I've actually thankfully read a couple other people that saw it the same way as being a movie about like what it's like to live with the famous person and the challenges that that presents in a way, because especially if it's like a celebrity that's married to someone that's not that. And that's a very uh, surface-level reading of it, but I enjoyed the um, – exaggeration exaggerated take on that if you will and i'd say i really like that level of it and i'm still processing like everything else about it as i've read more about it whether it be the religious subtext or the 
um, the, more specifically an artist and his muse or about everything about the environment? Was there a specific reading? Because everyone has projected a lot of stuff onto this. Was there like one specific take on it that you initially came away with and then something else that you like read afterward that it's like, oh, I kind of see that too. And I like that he did that. Not really from things that I read after. I will preface this by saying I am a religious person, so maybe okay. we had different readings there on the go. film. Yeah. That'd be interesting to talk about. Mm -hmm. But I, I saw it as a nesting doll of metaphors, basically. You peel oh. away the layers. Oh, for sure. Um, that The first one is, yeah, the, the home invasion thriller mm -hmm. type thing, and then wrapped in a metaphor about the artist and his muse and the artist and how he works, and then wrapped in a metaphor of feminism. Mm -hmm. and how women are treated, especially by powerful men, then wrapped in a religious metaphor and then <laughs> wrapped in the ultimate one, I think, which is an environmental metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I personally, I think that the, the uh, was film there, works. Was there one best. of those? That, yeah. Was there one that worked best for you out of all that? I, I think the film works best as a um, as that environmental, especially because I think Aronofsky comes off the most in that he comes across the most because it's sort of a fever dream of his emotions. And something that I like about his films is I feel like I can reach out and sort of touch what he's feeling mm. and get across that through the art. And I just felt so much rage in hmm. this movie from him. And that's the part I liked the most. Um, I think it also worked well as an environmentalist message and a critique of like toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, but my least favorite parts of it were the metaphor of the artist and the critique of religion mm -hmm. personally right well well i said well i'm saying that like a lot of a lot of the religious stuff went over my head like not all of it did per se i'd say mm -hmm. like especially once it's like oh she got pregnant and we're not totally sure if she actually like had sex with this guy or not <laughs> like that's where i was like oh i i can kind of see like where they're going with that and then obviously it, he has somewhat of a cult following and that can be the famous person with all of his crazy fans but it can also be like you said the just the religious the religious leader has a following and whatnot and if you take it that way it's like yeah he does not have the most um charitable view of religion if you will and i can see why no. maybe that might not have uh i mean i don't want to say just because you're religious you didn't like it but do you think there's something he maybe didn't necessarily pull off there that he was going for um i think so i think that in some ways, um, when he was trying to critique religion rather than just use it as a metaphor, he sort of fell through in the sense that if I approached you and said, I believe X, mm -hmm. and then you said back to me, yeah, this is all the things that's wrong with X plus one, mm -hmm. you touch on X a little bit, but it's only adjacent. You're not really getting to the heart of the matter. And I think that he that was sort of what he did here. I think he oversimplifies the forgiveness, oversimplifies um what the Christian God looks like mm -hmm. even. Um, and again, I think that works well for his environmental message, but not necessarily towards the religious aspect. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that I, I um, early on, I spotted a lot of biblical illusions um, like um, Ed Harris's character being Adam mm -hmm. um, of Genesis. And then he loses, he actually loses a, a rib. Yeah. So, <laughs> and right after Eve shows up, Mm -hmm. uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character. And then of course, Cain and Abel, their children yeah. and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought those worked well surface level, but maybe not, maybe I didn't quite get 
exactly what he was trying to tell the audience there. Well, yeah, if, you, if you're, you're saying, I mean, like, like I said, I, I, I wasn't saying he did anything wrong If I, on the religious aspect. I wasn't going to really go too hard on him for that because it's going to go over someone like me's head. I'm a very reformed Jewish person, and that's about like, and I just don't, I, I'm not, I'm just not going to have as much biblical knowledge as someone that might be pick, picking up on a lot of that. But if you, someone who does practice religion a little more than me and didn't quite get it, then I'll, I'll defer to you on that and say maybe, yeah, maybe he didn't do it as well as he could have on that. But the I, I did I did appreciate the the environmental aspect of it as well a little bit because I mean she uh she really really does care about that house so I mean <laughs> uh, you, you don't even have to I don't even think you have to have grasped the Mother Earth thing right off the bat to kind of see um, to see some kind of message of sustainability there you know what I mean and how yeah. I mean everyone just like getting up in their shit and really without any regard for the long-term health of the house. It's like you don't even have to look at it through a religious lens to grasp that. And I think that's the fact that maybe it does it can come across to a lot of people in different ways and you can still see that that way. I think that might show why it's a little stronger of a of a message right there at, amongst everything that he's going for throughout the movie. Yeah, and I I, I see that right off the bat. First, I want to clarify, I, I maybe um – didn't get what he was going for was the wrong term. I think more that I, I disagreed with the messaging there. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I will say from the very beginning, I think it's really interesting to see like Michelle Pfeiffer's character come in and paint the house and start messing it up sort of innocuously by mm -hmm. trying to help. And then it gets more and more taking away the ownership of the house, which with her as Mother Earth, Mother Earth could be, a, I think, interpreted as being her actual body and extension of herself and people mm -hmm. taking liberties with her. Um, and I like that as well. Right. Cause I mean, that goes and that, it goes back to what you're saying earlier too, about the, just the whole, I mean, well, Michelle Pfeiffer character, not part of the toxic male masculinity part, but I mean, at the same time when you see just, I, her, that's the only the start of what they are doing to that house. And then mm -hmm. you see all these other people that come in later, just, really tearing it all up and Javier Bardem is just like, eh, whatever it's, it's in service of me and making and pu putting me up on a pedestal. So I'm really not going to be that concerned with however upset it gets you, you know? So I think it comes full circle in a way there. I don't know. Well, and I think that that gets onto something. He says in the beginning that he loves this house so much. It means so much to him. And because the house is really mother or represents her at least to see that in the end, ah. Eh, he didn't really care as much about that house as he told her that he did. He just cares about the house and her serving him as well as humanity serving him. It's the whole reason he makes them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I mean, I don't know. I, I actually really like that character. And I mean, um, even if I wasn't thinking about him as a godlike figure, I mean, I, throughout the movie, I am thinking of him as more of a, like I said, initially I'm thinking of him more as a, just like a typical celebrity that maybe doesn't that just feels the need to feed his ego, but then you're thinking about it more as like, wow, um, this guy doesn't really have a whole lot of he doesn't treat women that well, and it's a pretty good representation of someone that does that. And he's just the like the way he's not so outwardly unlikable, but he's so inconsiderate and he tries to and put on a happy insidious. face throughout. Yeah, in a way, it's like wow, this is like if he was just being a dick, that'd be like almost. It would it, have, it would have a less less sinister undertone in a way, you know. And right. here it's just like so, it becomes more inexplicable as all the surrounding stuff gets crazier, obviously, and culminates in that whole final one on one scene with them at the end, in a way, you know. Right, and and taking away someone's agency like that and using them as as almost an object for your own satisfaction is a form of violence. Mm -hmm. 
And and Aronofsky really gets that across, I think, by the end, that this whole time has been something horrible happening to her. And it's he's been doing it very consciously, or at least not caring to consider her feelings on the matter. Yeah, it's like you don't know quite how conscious it is, but it's like it doesn't totally matter because he's just doesn't take the time to take like two steps back and just like, what the hell am I doing here? So even if it's not, it's still like completely, really, really awful. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I think that, uh, I don't want to, I mean, I I don't know if we need to spend that much more time going into what every single one of these things represents. I mean, was there any other, uh, cause I want to talk a little bit more about that first half of the movie too. And, um, and and then we can end on the end of the, the like the last fifteen minutes. I mean, if we want, like, I, we're not we're not necessarily doing a spoiler section on this anyway. But like, I, I just wanted to go in that order. But um, w- were there any other interesting little details that you did pick up? Where like, oh, I can see what that represents. That's kind of cool that he did there. Or, eh, I see what he's doing there. I don't really like it. You know. Um, uh, I'll say that I I liked the idea of the the sink causing a flood. Sort of Aronofsky retelling his entire film Noah in five seconds. That was interesting. Oh, I never, I never saw Noah. Um, I'm not as well versed in Aronofsky. I should have started off by saying that I meant to watch uh, Requiem for a Dream. I never seen it like the for, for the first time last week, mm-hmm. and I just like fell asleep through no fault of the movie. But I started <laughs> at, like 11:30 when I was in bed, and I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan of the wrestler, and I, um, I want. I haven't seen. Oh, okay. I want to. I want to, and I want to watch the Fountain a lot because like people I trust really speak highly of that. But I haven't seen the Fountain. I've seen so I really only seen the wrestler in Black Swan until I saw this. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like, very obviously a very interesting filmmaker, but. I did not. I, I did not make any connections to Noah because no one has very really spoken that highly of Noah to me. So I just didn't make it a priority. I mean, yeah. I, I I'm not going deep in there. Just that the sink I think is supposed to represent uh, Noah's flood, which I didn't oh, pick up course. on until later. Gotcha. Uh, it was gotcha. pointed out to me. Gotcha. Um, but I'm I'm fine going back to the first half of the film. Yeah. Um, so I did. I mean, I don't know. I just had a lot of fun with that, and I mean, that might have been more based on what the movie was setting me up for, based on the trailer. And I I didn't even need like a typical like slasher horror film out of it. I just I like movies like that where it's people in a tight space and like what what the hell's going to happen? It's like part of the reason. And and then just, you're just going to watch tension build. Like it's why I, I liked the, like the first half of the Hateful Eight better than the second half. Or I I really liked Get Out and I liked. Uh, it comes a night, like I said earlier. So I was just kind of enjoying seeing that with those characters, especially especially Michelle Pfeiffer and Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, I I mean, it was I, I just thought it was a much different kind of role for her to play. She obviously gets to do a lot of different stuff in the back half of the film, but it's just kind of funny to have like all those people, and it's already getting kind of tense. And then you just like throw someone in there like that Michelle Pfeiffer character that just puts Jennifer Lawrence on her heels throughout and is just like being so invasive and you're already it's like the beginnings of what the rest of that movie is going to become with how uncomfortable she makes her but it's funny to have that same effect on the Jennifer Lawrence character with someone that actually we get to know a little more as opposed to just all these nameless people that come in or everyone in this movie is kind of nameless but all the just all the massive people that come in later you know yeah I know I agree and I I like their interactions I like that so it was billed as a horror film, and mm-hmm. I think there's still horror elements there, but sort of existential ones. Yeah. There, there's this underlying horror of people invading your personal space mm-hmm. and your place and making it there and ignoring you and your ownership of mm-hmm. And it just keeps building in that first half. And you can even kind of relate to that and if you've ever like – Can had, I say uh, – Yeah, go for it. The, uh, the One of the things that I noticed very quickly in this movie is that it doesn't have a score. Yes, um, yes, yes. And the sound design blew my mind. One of my favorite parts of the film, it completely stood out to me. Um, every creak, every footstep was just magnified, and I loved that. Mm-hmm. 
No, no, no. I, I, I completely agree. And that's something that like I didn't necessarily see coming because the, the trailer has like that very like distinct like it's, it's I mean, I wouldn't even say it's almost a score, like the little drum beat and then a couple little noises mm-hmm. in there. And I maybe thought there'd be more stuff like that going on throughout than there was. So it was that was like a, definitely like a, a pretty interesting twist for sure. And I just thought that it was um like I don't know, I just thought that it was it was also a pretty cool setting and um I don't know, like it was it's it's kinda weird because like you you only really see outside the house like twice. But like I like just seeing that house and trying to figure out like what this kind of life was these people were living if it was much of a flashback if it was like a period piece at all because you didn't really know until you saw right. the, the cell phone at one point and i don't know it was like such a unique place such, such a unique setting in which to shoot a film i was just like kind of ta- i was i was trying to take in all of that at the same time as everything else which is like a very weird thing to say about a movie that has so much else going on but i'm like what is this house i mean obviously it is important to the movie but i was just like trying to figure out wait where are they like are they in like are they in like the middle of nowhere in like a european village and i i had no idea and i, I just i i enjoyed watching that part of the movie kind of uh reveal itself as we actually like jumped into all the crazy shit yeah and it it helps i think the setting does help this sort of weird um but grand house that you don't quite know where it is at first you don't quite know why either there and it lends itself to the dawning realization throughout the film that none of this is happening for real. <laughs> um, and that helps with that. Well, yeah, that was the other thing. I mean, when you, okay. So that, that's a very big statement. I think you just made where you're like, there's a realization that none of this is happening for real. What, when did, when did, when would you say you had that realization? Um, Oh goodness. Um, it probably, the uh, the concept that it literally was not happening, that it was all metaphorical, probably didn't dawn on me until um, all those people started flooding into the house, mm-hmm. worshiping him, basically. Right. And then Kristen Wiig shows up, yep. which is weird and off-putting. And apparently I read an interview with Aronofsky after it was meant to be, mm-hmm. just one of the things that happened. And it's it's weird to see her there. And it sort of clicked with me that this is this is too weird now. <laughs> I mean, even before she got there, I was like, this is too weird. Like, I thought everything might be happening until, like, really until it was, like, they, uh, the one part where I'm like, okay, I don't, I'm now I'm starting to question if any of this is happening was when the, when they were like, all right, we're going to have a funeral for our son and just invite our friends over. Where it's like, at the beginning of the movie, it was like, we don't know anyone. We're in the middle of nowhere. We need to stay with you. It's like, wait, you have friends here? And that was where, that was kind of where something, like, went off in my head. I was like, this seems a little weird. I don't really get what's going on now. Now, there's just, that's like, a good point neighbor, there's like this whole neighborhood of people where they can just all come crowd the building where at first crowd the house where at first we're like there's literally no one within miles so we have to come to this bed and breakfast that was see our- but at that point in the film it's still it's really weird but it seems possible yeah, if not plausible plausible that's where my but the, went up. yeah the the but the thing that really hit me over the head was this cult forming the day he finished writing a manuscript, like the timeline is actually impossible at that right, point. Right, it becomes right. more glaring. But I so, mean, I knew the film was metaphorical by that point. I knew that there was a lot of biblical illusions, but I didn't quite know for sure that this still wasn't a real story with a lot of illusions in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know. I, I guess that 
And while like, while, like as we already talked about, like I, I get some of what he was trying to do, and I and I can appreciate some of it, even if maybe some of it just didn't connect with me as much. Like I think that that realization took takes me out of the movie for a minute, and I'm like, whereas I'm like more into the thriller that is the first half. At that point of the second half, I think it did it does lose me for a bit because I have that realization. I was like, ah. I don't, I don't, I don't really love sorting through things, trying to figure out what's actually happening and what's not. And like, I feel like I've watched a lot of TV where that's happened, like over the last year or two, or it's like, I don't really want to spend my time like trying to figure out like how much of it's real and how much of it's not. And that like annoyed me for a few minutes. It's maybe not like the most uh, uh, sophisticated movie-going complaint, but I was just like, oh god, now I gotta, I, I gotta like. I gotta just really decipher what's actually happening. I can't just like enjoy what's going on, and that probably that 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 like kind of sequence right there, maybe before like the end where things, like I don't know, this the whole time where things are going crazy. I'm just like, all right, I guess like we're in some kind of weird, weird metaphorical zone, like you're talking about. Like I don't know, that's probably the one part of the movie that just like threw me off for a bit, and I was just like, eh. Before I could, I I kind of got back into it when things like slowed down at the end, and it's like the two of them after the baby's been born. Like I was like, all right, here I am now, but it's like. What the hell is this? And it's a very, very impressively shot sequence. Like I, I can like I can have those like annoyances in my head, but still like really respect the filmmaking and like everything it took to pull that off. But that was kind of like where my head was at for that whole sequence in the second half. See, I I watch Aronofsky films for that second half surrealism. Right, right. Um, that's what I like about him. And I will say this is the most Aronofsky film Aronofsky made um it takes everything and dials it up to 11 i can see why it would be off-putting um and again i don't agree with all of the messages in it but i think the second half was actually my favorite part the okay. part that just went off the rails yeah um i just i just like that he went for it mm-hmm. i i don't like all the decisions that he made but i'm glad that a studio let him make them. that's exactly because, what i was gonna say yeah a few, even a few years ago, I, I I don't know if you could convince me that is it Paramount that released this? Yep. Um, I think would have actually let him make this movie. Yeah, and I, I heard the point made on a podcast the other day. It's like, and, and that's why I'm like glad. Pe- I still want people to see this movie, even if like I can't really give you a straight answer as to whether or not I like it. Because it's cool that like you want studios to take those kind of risks and fund those kind of projects. And someone's like, everyone's like, oh man, it's totally crazy that like for a movie that they knew was gonna like be this off-putting to probably to people wanting a horror film that they'd like open it up on 2,500 screens as opposed to a platform release. But I guess the idea is like, that's where we have to make our money because like no one's going to want to see it once the word gets out about how weird it is. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what they thought would happen here. It, it has a very bankable star and that'll get in a wider audience. But then I think a lot of people did not like it, especially because there is no faster way to get a bad cinema score than to have a horror film that is, very odd but is presented as less odd in the marketing <laughs> i think this one fell into that trap and that's exactly what happened with it comes at night and i guess i mean they'll market it that way to get people too. yeah the, yeah exactly but the witch i think the witch made a good amount of money though this one's struggling to get there um i mean like in like maybe for a movie that takes place in one room like that like that's so why a couple other critics i follow on twitter were like Man, that probably should have cost like fifteen million dollars to make instead of thirty million dollars. But to pull off like all those that whole entire second half sequence, like you're not going to be cheap. Um, but like I, I but I, but I do agree with what you said. Whereas like I'm like you know the, well, like one I, I'm like even if I didn't love all that stuff, like I'm glad it exists and a studio allowed it to happen. And I wish it maybe would have made more money so studios would take that chance those chances. But I think the funny thing is that like 
I really love the wrestler, and based on what you're saying about the other Aronofsky films that you like, it's like I would say the the wrestler is probably the least Aronofsky film because I mean you probably at least know the premise where it's just like we're gonna follow a washed up old wrestler around as he like reconnects with his daughter and grapples with the end of his career, like a totally different kind of film for him. So I like, I mean, and I like Black Swan too, but I, I really love the wrestler, and it's like. If I had seen all of his films and become and just came in more prepared to just give myself over to him indulging himself in that way and just like going balls out, then I probably wouldn't have been like as put off. But I just didn't I, exactly know to expect that. I might be holding myself out as more of an Aronofsky expert than I am. I've only seen a few of his films, certainly not all of his filmography. Right, right, right. Um, I just knew that from the Black, like Black Swan, the more fantastic elements there is what I like the most and things like that. I like how he plays with obsession, and he definitely does that here. Um, I just, I, I basically, I went into the theater not knowing what to expect, but expecting something weird. Yeah, and I think to talk about the weirdest stuff then is that some people, I mean, were, I think the stuff that the people probably had the most, like, crazy reaction to is, probably like the last 15 minutes of this movie where mm-hmm. you have um, um, where I thought is a pretty incredible scene with her, her and him having a stare down after she has the baby. And then um, who knows how long that's supposed to actually take place over. I think maybe just like a day or two, I guess. Um, and then he takes the baby away to his followers and uh, you hear a baby's neck snap. And uh, what was your reaction when you saw that? Well, I, um, I didn't I didn't expect the next snap, but yeah. I was ready for that baby to die because it was, I think, a fairly obvious Jesus metaphor at that point. Mm-hmm. So I'm ready for the baby to be killed by the uh, by the public. It was visceral. It was shocking, mm-hmm. certainly. And there were a lot of people in the theater gasping. I I, I thought it was interesting. And I think that uh, the tension in that first part that we talked about building up, it mm-hmm. culminates in that scene where they're just staring at each other, just um, just that there's a lot of tension that sort of culminates in that scene where they're just mm-hmm. staring at each other. Gotcha. Um, I will say, I think that the eating of the child's flesh mm. was one of the most on the nose things in the, in the film. <laughs> it's, it's almost a cliched joke to make fun of the Eucharist at this point. Be like, ha ha Catholics believe they're actually eating the, the flesh of Christ mm. is, uh, I mean, it was, it was shocking again, but I thought it maybe not as clever as he thought it was because i've seen that done in other movies okay gotcha yeah i mean yeah like i said me being the not so religious guy i think that part of it went over my head like i could have if it it makes total sense to me now when you put it that way i didn't really i wasn't really seeing it as like a dig at catholics but i obviously wasn't looking favorably upon those characters in any way and kind of saw them as really not quite getting it yeah I'll just say I don't I don't think it was like a nasty dig or I don't think he shouldn't have said something like that. I just think that it's it's all it's cliched. Not, that's my only complaint. Yeah, not as not, not it's like I saw that come. Yeah, not as original as everything else in this movie. Um, and yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you think you're saying that's on the nose. But just I mean, as far as having the that very visceral Jesus metaphor, like you said, you thought that the baby was going to die. But as far as the. The neck snapping and everything like that, like I think that's probably like the one moment that like probably is like elicited like the most uh, extreme reactions and like just as like an artistic choice. Like, do you think that's a step too far? Or do you think that's like if you're if you're already in it this far, then with him, then like you're gonna have you're gonna have to expect to go to places like that. I think that um, at least part of his point needed a visceral reaction, and mm-hmm. there's 
that's going to get an honest reaction from the audience. Everyone's going to be horrified for a second when they realize what happened. And I think that he needed it at that point, or at least thought that he did. So I think it was, it was not called for, but very understandable why he put it in. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I mean, is there anything else um, as far as like the whole, the, the very last sequence, um, him going out to get her heart, it kind of uh, turns back into the, like, it does turn like back into that stone kind of right is what happens I right. think. and then and then a different blonde wakes up i mean uh do you have any thoughts on that and where it kind of leaves you thinking about the journey that you've just been on um yeah i i'd like to talk about the heart first yeah. mm-hmm. from that scene mm-hmm. um we see that that's his prized possession mm-hmm. and we see from the end of the film that it represents and is the physical manifestation of the love of mother of mm-hmm. mother earth and one of the I was talking before, I think he gets some things wrong religion wise. But what I found interesting as him as an outsider is he took the story of Eve taking the fruit, which is traditionally the fruit of knowledge. And he made it instead Eve touching the forbidden thing is the love of Earth. Hmm. It's fascinating to me that he would use that as a representation. I don't know if we completely unpacked that yet. The other the thing that. I'm not sure what he was trying to say, though, is with her waking up and them doing the cycle again, because his environmentalist message, you would think, would be we have to stop ruining the earth before it's too late. But then the end of the movie implies, is it ever too late to yeah. start again? What does that mean? And maybe the, the best that I've come up with as a potential explanation is maybe that he's talking about a different cycle within a cycle, maybe the, the cycle of of masculine abuse of the woman and the cycle of abuse against the earth maybe we can stop that cycle within the cycle but you know that's just me sort of trying to turn it over in my head i'm not sure if the cycle starting over really i don't know if it undercut his message or not yeah that's the thing i like i said i i kind of agree with what we discussed earlier and that the the a lot of the environmental stuff really works but it's like if you can show us that destruction and then we just like start back from square one what does that really mean i mean i guess it's just Maybe it's almost just like, all right, well, I showed you what's going to happen. Now the ball's in your court, if you know, that kind of thing. I don't know if he's talking to the audience in that way or something else. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Like, I don't know what to make of it. And I think that's okay. I kind of like ambiguous endings in movies if they are done, okay, if they are done in a way that's not like totally cheating the audience. And I don't necessarily think that's what happened here. But like, I, I, don't, I don't think I can like give a solid explanation either. You know, I just, it's just right. one of those things. It's it's not the ambiguity that bothers me. It's just the idea again of does this fit the message or not? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, no, I'm still struggling with it. I'm still struggling with this entire movie, as you can probably tell from this whole podcast. I've just been like more listening to Dylan sound smart and knowledgeable about all of this stuff, and I'm like I'm still processing it. I don't. I, I just oh, don't know. Oh what goodness. To say. I- I'm, I'm sure that I've missed a thousand things, <laughs> and I'm sure that I've said some really dumb things. I, I. We'll say, like, like I said at the beginning, the more I've thought about this film, I think I like knocked a half a star off on my rating <laughs> because I think that there's some muddling of metaphors here with how much he tries to put in. Yeah. But at the same time, without all of those metaphors clashing together, I don't know if I would have got that that fever dream rage, which I liked. So it's a it's a contradictory movie. And I think what I like about it and don't like about it is contradictory, too. Yeah, no, I think that does make sense in its own uh, in its own very unique way for some, a movie that's this uh, that's this unique. Um, uh, it, did you have any other thoughts on that? Because I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the the performances. But if you had any other thoughts on anything else, I didn't touch on there. 
No, let's go into the yeah. Uh, the so process. I mean, do you, have, do you have do you have strong do you have do you have any strong feelings on Jennifer Lawrence? I feel like there's probably been a little bit of a backlash in the last couple of years. She hasn't made as many good movies. Some people didn't even really like her to begin with. With like when she made the David O. Russell movies, like I think I thought this was a really, I actually I'm a fan for the most part, but I thought this is really cool to see her kind of push herself like this, and I quite enjoyed her in this movie. I enjoyed her a lot as well. I, I also like her. I liked her in Silver Linings Playbook. I've liked her in, in past projects. Um, but I think that she really brought a quiet meekness to the role, mm-hmm. a subtlety of like someone who's been sort of abused and worn down but doesn't want to admit it to herself. That's a hard thing to play, and she does it well. Yeah, and like she, I think she – you, you think of her as a person, and she's uh, she's a lot of personality in real life. But like, so and like in Silver Linings Playbook, that's obviously and, and in American Hustle, those are like big, loud performances. And in the Hunger Games movies, it's quieter. But like, I think she's not as meek. She's not meek in the same way you're describing her here. So it, it was cool to see her go through that transformation of like starting out that way, being put off by everything going on, and ultimately really having to like grow. I mean. T- take a really strong stance at the end towards that. And I think she showed us that transformation pretty well, you know, if I'd, if and I'd e- say so. It, right. And even when she fights back, she's not playing the same type of fear she's played in the past. It's still just someone learning to stand up for themselves. I thought there were a lot of layers to her performance. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I agree. I, re- I really enjoyed her. I, I mean, it's, it'll be cool to see her, I mean that see what she keeps doing now that i mean like not to say she won't like go back and do another david o russell movie someday but she's like going out and doing like a bunch of different types of stuff now like she mm-hmm. had that trailer drop in the last couple of weeks for that red sparrow movie it's like her version of atomic blonde i'm looking forward to that and then i guess she's doing the one about the um that bad blood movie about that um that scientist lady that i'm forgetting her name yeah, L- i don't L- recall the name elizabeth either. holmes or something like that more of a biopicky thing and I, so um i I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like where she kind of goes from here and it seems like she's really getting out there to push herself um i already talked about javier bardem i thought that was a really creepy unlikable performance <laughs> in a very effective way i don't know if you had anything to add on him i mean he's obviously uh, a very talented actor in his own right he is i, I like is what, i did he did a good job of what he was he asked does. to do he does creepy and unlikable well mm-hmm. in other roles too i think i've seen him do this role before but it was a good choice yeah, no, I enjoyed him. Like, I, as much as I didn't like that guy, that was kind of the point. And good for him for right. making me not like him. Um, I already, I, I talked about Michelle Pfeiffer too. She's someone that like hasn't been in the movies a ton in the last in recent years, and it seems like she's actually having a little bit of a renaissance in this year and last year coming going forward. Not to say, I guess she's going to be in the Murder on the Orient Express movie. I know a lot of people are pessimistic about that, but at least she's getting to be in stuff again. And she looked like she had like a boatload of fun, and I really enjoyed when she just like kind of roared into this movie and really made Jennifer Lawrence feel uncomfortable. And, um, I had a lot and of fun. Roared in. roared in is the right word, I think, <laughs> because, uh, no, that, that's what they needed to bring to the roles. You needed to just come in, immediately impose your personality on the film. And, uh, and they did. And it's interesting for characters that didn't even have names for her and, and Ed Harris, um, who I, I loved Ed Harris. Really, I, th- I mean, um, I thought he, too. I, yeah, I mean, he he was fine. But like, I don't think he was asked to do quite as much. He was spent a lot of the movie bent over the toilet. And no, uh, I I think that some it, they didn't ask him to go outside of his comfort zone. But I think it's like Javier Bardem again. I think he's exactly what they needed, mm-hmm. uh, especially for that first half. Yeah, and like I mean, and I guess the and then their kids were played by Donald Gleason and I guess 
one of the less famous Gleason brothers. Um, <laughs> right. And I, I guess that guy, that, that less famous Gleason brother was apparently, I guess he was one of the really redneck guys in Logan Lucky. And I didn't totally recognize him from that. And, uh, but like, I really liked Donal, even though like he wasn't there for long. Like I thought like that was just like a cool different thing for him to do. And I, en- I enjoyed them. Uh, I don't, I don't know how to feel about Donald Gleason anymore. He, he shows up in half the films I watch. I feel like, <laughs> I don't know how he saw on his feet. Uh, with how much he works I, th- I thought they did a good enough job for the screen time they had though yeah and then there's like literally no other actors for us to talk about besides Kirsten Wig, and we can like we said that was pretty random and it's kind of weird how she comes in and all of a sudden then she's like a murderer but I mean, which I think that she has the chops for she's just traditionally a more comic actress I yeah I, don't, I, I actually like her like I, I like this have you seen the skeleton twins no go watch the skeleton twins i think you'd enjoy it it's okay her, her and bill Hader, like playing twins that like go through some really like i mean it has some funny parts but like they're playing more grounded characters than you almost see her in like any of the comedy she does and i think it's like my favorite thing that she has done and like I, I like it way more than like any of the really weird shit she did when she was on snl even though i was like a, i liked snl and i liked her when she was on snl like mm-hmm. she can do that kind of stuff i'll be curious to see like hasn't gotten great reviews but i'll be curious to see how she does in downsizing like I'm still looking forward to that movie and seeing how she does in it because like I almost like her when she plays regular people better and like I mean this, it was this was just like a weird cameo type thing like wasn't bad it was just like oh wow that's Kristen Wiig and it's sort of off putting just how it, she shows it, up it, but I think it's supposed to be do you think it would have been better if it was like an unknown actress I mean I don't oh, okay. I think because that's that is that part is is like the the line in which the movie starts to get really really weird mm-hmm. and her showing up sort of almost signifies that like you didn't expect Kristen Wiig to be here did you yeah well, yeah exactly it's like that's where you know it's like where it's like oh yeah this is already off the rails so anything can happen here's Kristen Wiig I kind of get what you're saying with that um but yeah um I think we've pretty well covered it I mean like I think we both it sounds like we both probably recommend this movie it's just like don't come away from it like expecting to have like a I don't think anyone can come away from it like absolutely loving everything about it. I mean, if you do, great. I think like you have to respect the ambition and you're probably going to grab onto some stuff you really appreciate and you might find some other stuff pretty objectionable. And I think that's a pretty good way to describe it. Like if someone just came and said, should I see mother? I mean, what would you tell them? Would it probably depend on who asked you? I'm guessing, but it would depend on who asked me. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that I would say if you want to challenge yourself, do so. Mm-hmm. I think regardless of how you come out feeling about the film, you'll come out thinking about it. Yeah. In fact, it it might be my least favorite Aronofsky film that I've seen, mm-hmm. but I still liked it, and I still think about it a lot since uh, since the weeks that I've seen it. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess at this point I saw it. I guess it's been about. I guess it hasn't been quite been two weeks since I saw it. I saw it a couple Tuesdays ago, I guess. So I mean, been almost two weeks, and I'm still like still trying to figure it out in my head, which I kind of like when movies. Like sometimes movies just like I don't even want to think about it anymore. Like I'm done with it. And this wasn't that for me, even if like some of it like I didn't love. Like I it's still leaving me like kind of processing it. And I think there's something to be said for that, if nothing else, you know? Um, okay. I think I think my final thing on it, mm-hmm. it would be if I really had to tell someone mm-hmm. would be it's an ambitious film and you should see it for yourself to see if you think it met its ambitions. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's a good, that's a very good way to put it, and I'd like to end on that note. Um, before we get out of here, Dylan, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, no, not right now. 
Gotcha. Um, it's just, uh, it was nice to be on here. This yeah. was fun. As usual, um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. If you want to follow Anthony, it's a clam bake, A-K-L-A-M-B-A-K-E. The podcast Twitter is at 52and52pod. The podcast email is 52and52pod at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again, Dylan, for joining us. And we'll hope, you, hope hopefully you'll come back on another for another episode at some point when it's something that Anthony kind of got around to seeing as well because I think um, we'd enjoy doing a three-way pod with you. I think it'd be a lot of fun. So, okay. Um, it's in, uh, but for, that's all for now. Um, we'll... Uh, by the time you hear this pod, we'll probably you'll probably have even heard um, we might be having like the Blade Runner twenty forty nine coming out soon, and and I'm sure a couple others. We're getting into that part of year where there's uh, just going to be a lot more exciting stuff coming out. So stay tuned, and we'll talk to you again soon, everyone. Thanks for listening.